relief factor, pain relief that's natural, pain relief that works, and pain relief that attacks the source of the pain. That's the experience of tens of thousands of Americans who are taking Relief Factor right now. See their incredible video endorsements at relieffactor.com and then order your three-week quick starter pack for just $19.95. That's less than a dollar a day. Find out if it can work for you like it works for me by ordering your three-week quick starter pack today. Relieffactor.com, relieffactor.com. Be the next success story. forth upon this continent a new nation conceived in liberty and dedicated to the proposition that all men are created equal i know not what course others may take but as for me give me liberty or give me death the world will little note or long remember what we say here but it can never forget what they did here not what your country can do for you ask what you can do for your country mr gorbachev tear down this wall i can hear you the rest of the world hears you and the people and the people who knock these buildings down will hear all of us soon and we will make america great again This is America First with Sebastian Gorka. Thank you for joining us on America First with today's very special guest host, Cleveland's own Bob France. Dr. G, thank you so much for the wonderful introduction. Thank you so much for the opportunity on this Martin Luther King Day holiday today to sit in and guest host America First. I certainly appreciate the opportunity, and I certainly appreciate the uh, phenomenal conversation I have every time I talk to the America First audience. So welcome. We have got a lot of very important things to discuss today. And we've got a couple of really important and interesting people to discuss them with. One of them you know very, very well because he is one of the bulldogs, one of the stalwart conservatives, one of the co-founders of the Freedom Caucus in the House of Representatives in the United States Congress. He is now the chairman of the House Judiciary Committee. He is now the chairman of the House, uh, the subcommittee under judiciary on weaponization of the federal government against the American people. He is Congressman Jim Jordan from my home state here of Ohio. And he's going to be joining us at the top of our third hour today at uh, 5 o'clock Eastern, 2 o'clock Pacific time. And believe me, you're not going to want to miss that. We have a lot of very important things to discuss. At the top of the next hour, coming up one hour from now-ish, We're going to be talking with Adam Coleman, who is a very, very interesting guy who writes a blog. He's a blogger. He has got a sub stack. He is a public speaker. And he is an African-American who essentially was red-pilled by his own description. He voted Republican for the first time this year. And he is speaking out about some very important things. His sub stack is called Speaking Wrong at the Right Time. And we're going to talk to him at the top of the next hour about the same thing that I want to talk about with you in this hour. And that is the dream. You know, very few people know a great deal about 
the legacy, the life, the work, the history of, uh, of the great civil rights icon, Dr. Martin Luther King Jr., most people know him only from his great speech, the I Have a Dream speech. They may know him from marches. They may know him from some other. You should know him for his his uh, pledge of nonviolence, which he asked his marchers and his supporters and his protesters who are screaming for civil rights that he asked them to take. It was extraordinary. It was very important. I actually reread those today at, at the urging of one of my callers on my home station here uh, in Cleveland, which is uh, WHK Radio, AM 1420, The Answer. You can hear my daily show from 9 to noon uh, here Eastern Time, but... Uh, he should be known as well as much for that. And, of course, uh, all of his life's work of trying to advance the cause of civil rights, trying to advance the cause of equality, not equity, trying to advance the cause of, well, colorblindness. Am I right? Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. had a dream today, as he said so forcefully, his dream was to one day see his children living in a nation in which they would be judged not by the color of their skin, but by the content of their character. The literal dream that people talk about from Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. And it's one of the primary reasons that in his tragic assassination that we, that we have a national holiday dedicated to civil rights and to him as a civil rights icon and leader. The dream was what was supposed to inspire people to work even after his death toward colorblindness, toward unity among races, particularly the black and the white race. They are not the only races represented in this melting pot, in this very diverse culture and society that we call the United States of America, but they are the two primary races that have been at odds for obvious reasons from Jim Crow, pre-civil rights, segregation, of course, going all the way back to slavery. The black and white races, the dream of Donald or of, of uh, Martin Luther King Jr. Was, was so articulately and eloquently and forcefully and sincerely and passionately ex- explained and exclaimed in 1963, and that is the dream of a colorblind society. One in which little black children and little white children and all children can sit around the table of of unity together holding hands and nobody caring what color they were, right? That was the dream, colorblindness. Where you look at a person and you decide what you think of them based on what they do, not how they look, on what they say, not how they look. On what they strive to be, not on the color of their skin. That was the dream. And now here we sit. Six decades later. Six decades later. Have we achieved the dream? Have we accomplished what Dr. King wanted for, for this country and for his children and his children's children and yours and mine, have we accomplished it? No, we haven't. And you want to know why? Because the American left refuses to allow it. Because the American left 
absolutely does not dream the same dream that Dr. King dreamed. The American left has no interest whatsoever in colorblindness. As a matter of fact, the American left will tell you directly, colorblindness is racism. They will tell you that Dr. King was wrong. They will tell you that Dr. Martin Luther King was striving for the wrong thing because colorblindness is racist. This is what we're told today, every single day, by radicals and Marxists, otherwise known as the American left, otherwise known in simpler terms as the Democrat Party, they, they tell us every single day that colorblindness is racism. That you have to not only see color, you must seek it out. You must make sure you identify people by the color of their skin, not the content of their characters, so that you know how to treat them. That if you recognize a person's light hue, the light color of their epidermis, you have to treat them as the oppressors that they are. That they themselves are guilty of sins committed by other people who had lighter hues on their skin centuries ago. They're oppressors because they're they're descendants of oppressors. It's in their DNA. You have to treat them as such. And you have to seek out and identify darker colored skin and treat them as such. Treat them as the victims they clearly are. Because people who looked like them centuries ago were treated inhumanely. So therefore they themselves are being treated inhumanely. They themselves must be recognized for their suffering. And they must be given reparations. And they must be given free things and extra opportunities and separate, separate, but equal, strangely enough, post-civil rights, post-segregation, separate but equal, and in fact, a little bit better than equal accommodations because of past injustices. Today, the American left has killed the dream that Martin Luther King Jr. had and announced and promoted and shared with the rest of the country, maybe the rest of the world. They've killed it. And they've done so intentionally, which is why today, on Martin Luther King Day 2023, I am calling on every American leftist, every American progressive, every American liberal, To not celebrate MLK Day, because you don't celebrate MLK, the man, and his dream. You have intentionally killed that which he strived so hard to build. I'll explain more as we continue. Bob France sitting in for Dr. Gork on America First. Thank you for joining us on America First with today's very special guest host, Cleveland's own Bob France. Hour number two underway 
on uh, America First. Appreciate you being here, and appreciate you, Dr. G, for giving me another shot to uh, talk to your phenomenal audience. I always enjoy it every time I am guest hosting, so thanks, everyone, for being a part of it. I'm coming to you live from the ReliefFactor.com studios of AM 1420, The Answer, here in Cleveland, Ohio. That's my home base. Uh, every day from 9 until noon, you can catch me there at whkradio.com if you are so inclined. If you like what we're, what you hear and what we talk about, I would love to have you be a part of that local uh, program as well. But for now, I want to go back and stick with our our theme today. We're talking about MLK Day. We're talking about MLK Day 23. We're talking about what the dream was. And we're talking about whether or not 60 years on, it's dead or if it is still in progress uh, in the process of being achieved. I've made a pretty, I think, compelling case that it is dead, and it's been killed by the American left. Literally, that says what Dr. King wanted is not what they're teaching. They're teaching the exact opposite of judging by content of character rather than uh, color of skin. They say skin color matters first, second, and last. It is the most important thing and maybe the only thing, at least according to the tenets of CRT, critical race theory. Joining me now to discuss this and more is the president of anti-Blackistan. At least that's what he says. It's his republic, and he can call it what he wants it. Adam B. Coleman is my guest. He is a columnist with Human Events. Uh, he is the founder of Wrong Speak Publishing. He has uh, got a substack that you should definitely check out. I did. That's why I reached out to him. It's Adam B. Coleman, spelled just like it sounds, dot substack.com. And Adam joins us now on America First with Dr. G. Uh, Adam, good to have you. How are you, sir? I'm doing well. Thank you for having me. And just a small correction. It's yes. ain't Blackistan, not ain't I. Just, you know, oh, I, you know, how funny is that? I literally misplaced the A or the I in the end. Wow. Thank you. Thank you. I appreciate that. <laughs> no problem. <laughs> It ain't Blackistan. Well, you know what? Let's do that, because that's funny, obviously. Uh, the president of the Republic of Ain't Blackistan. What does that mean? Tell us the, the origin of that, uh, that euphemism. Yeah, so basically it started uh, from our dear president, uh, Joe Biden, when he said, if you don't vote for me, you ain't black. Uh, so it just turned into like an inside joke um, between a friend of mine. And so I just came up with a fictional nation where we are people who are black who did not vote for him. So, you know, it's just a, it's a play on words, basically. I love it. I, it's, you know, it's funny. I was just talking about that quote into one of my callers last segment, last hour before you came on. So that's actually perfect. And I'm so glad that you corrected me on that because I love it even more now uh, that I pronounce it correctly. You wrote about this a little bit um, on one of your sub stacks and we'll get into the, the transracialism issue that I invited you on in a moment or for in a moment. But one of your other sub stack articles, Adam Coleman is um, about, about uh, voting for Republican for the very first time. Um, obviously, yeah. in the midterm elections, you know, it's interesting. There wasn't a red wave or tsunami like many people predicted. Conservative people like me were hoping for. But it did get some people uh, to come over for the first time. Or in your case, you didn't vote for Joe Biden. Maybe it was in the uh, in the 2020 presidential election. But explain to me how you went from voting Democrats your whole life to now, at least not automatically voting Democrat, that you will consider and have voted for Republicans. Yeah, so I, I would say the major issues that started coming up within the past couple of years um, that have stuck out is the uh, protection of children, uh, whether it's at school or whether it's, you know, within our society. I think it's extremely important that we protect our children. And I'm seeing one particular party, my old party, um, basically choosing otherwise. So that was a big motivating factor for me. 
Uh, I'm so glad to hear you say that. That is a very uh, passionate subject for me as well and for many people. You know, it's I don't want to deviate too far from, again, the topic at hand here. But when you say protecting children, did you have something specific in mind that uh, you saw that your former party was was exposing children to that bothered you so much? Oh, yeah, especially the um, advocating for mutilation of children. You know, when the president of the United States says, um, you know, gender affirmation care is the suitable route to go, then he's advocating for mutilating children. I, I personally just couldn't stand for that. So that was, that was a big, uh, amongst other things, that was a big thing for me. The other thing was um, the, the complete... Um, that's what I'm looking for. Basically, like just going full tilt into racial politics uh, and identity politics, especially. Um, you know, it always exists. And, you know, it's always there, but they were brandishing it. They're proud of it. You know, when they say we're looking for the first female black uh, vice president, you know, it's not insinuation to say she's a diversity hire. Whereas maybe in years past, they would have done it and we would have just assumed or just moved about our lives and not really cared, but they're talking about it and they're brandishing it. And it, you know, it's all, it's all these things. I don't think it's, it's a right thing to do. You know, I want people to be elevated because of their merit, not because of what they look like or what they were born as. Wow. Well, that is so spot on. And I completely concur. And I kind of figured that's where you were going with this when you talked about the big issue being protecting children and defending children, because you're right. They're under attack uh, by groomers uh, and recruiters, people who are engaging in coercion to try to advance and grow a political movement. And it involves getting young children, as you say, this quote unquote gender affirming care that turns into puberty blockers. It turns into gen- uh, 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 genital mutilation that turns into cutting off healthy organs organs and convincing them this is what they want. I agree with you. But but I have to ask you, um, were you prepared and how are you handling uh, the criticism as a transphobe or as a homophobe or as an anti-LGBTQ bigot? Because that's what they call anybody who uh, who takes the stand that you and I both have here. Um, well, it's not my number one issue that I talk about as far as trans. You see, that's the thing. It's how you it's how you advocate for things. Mm-hmm. Like I'm not anti-trans, but I'm I'm against mutilating children. Bingo. So you know, but that doesn't matter. That's yeah. it, right? I mean, because I'm the same way. Yeah. You want to be an adult and go live your life in whatever capacity you want, dress how you want, call yourself what you want. Don't drag kids into it, and don't make me right. have to participate in your, you know, your 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 delusion or your identity or whatever it is you want to call yourself. Don't make me use words that don't exist in order to refer to you, and don't go twerking in my kid's face during story hour. Right, right. And, and that's, that's exactly it right there. To me, everything is about protecting children, uh, protecting them from things that are inappropriate, sexually inappropriate, um, protecting them from people who may have malicious intent. Um, you know, it, it's all about that for me. So, you know, in regards to responses from people, I really don't care. Um, you know, I'm comfortable with how I feel. I feel like I'm doing what's right what's moral. And so, you know, you're always going to get somebody who's going to be upset when you do the right thing. And that's, that's so true. So uh, true. We, we expect that. So um, as far as, you know, uh, detractors, I really don't care about the opinions of people I don't respect in the first place. 
Well, that's you're ahead of the game already, obviously, because that's exactly how you have to be. Uh, we're talking to uh, Adam B. Coleman. He's the founder of Wrong Speak Publishing. He is the president of Ain't Blackistan, which is awesome, and your message is terrific there. And he's got a Substack, and that's where I first became aware of you. I actually found you on Twitter, and I followed you uh, because I read one of your tweets about one of your Substack articles that I want to discuss with you, and that is trans, but not transgenderism now, as we just did. You knew this was coming. This is what people talk about. This is what I talk about. And I think a lot of other people, when we talk about slippery slopes, that you knew that if you say this is okay or if you promote this and that's all right and so on, what's the next level? What's the next step? And the the, the natural next level or next step here is transracialism as opposed to transgenderism. <clears throat> what do we do with a white person who says, I don't care what you think I look like. I know that myself inside of me. I know I'm black, and I identify as black, and if I dress black, maybe even including black face, uh, that's you, you need to accept my reality. You need to accept my truth. You need to accept me for what I believe I am. And if we're going to do that for men who think they're women and women who think they're men, why can't we do that among the races? And that's what you wrote about. What is your, what is your thought of that, uh, that transracial movement starting? Um. You know, in in some way, because I have a sense of humor, um, I'm kind of looking forward to it because I would think it's absolutely hysterical when that starts to happen. Because then you start to see all the people have mental gymnastics trying to square that you know that circle. Uh, you know, how how do we address this? It kind of reminds me of the feminists who are leftists who are advocating for trans people's rights, but then they're not comfortable with the trans uh, woman going into, you know, their sports or their bathrooms or, you know, their spaces and, and trying to be supportive while at the same time realizing that uh, there are men who are encroaching on their space. So I think in much of the same way, if it becomes a norm, if there's a celebrity who comes out, you know, as the first transracial uh such and such. I, th- I believe in the article, I, I kind of made the joke like, um, you know, here's a white person. A- Adam, let me, let me stop you there because we got a hard break here. I'll let you finish that story and we'll follow up on that as we continue. Bob Franson for Dr. G, right back. My pillow is having their biggest sheet sale of the year. You all have helped build my pillow into the amazing company that it is today. Now, Mike Lindell, my buddy, the inventor and CEO, wants to give back to my listeners. The Percal bed sheet set is available in a variety of colors and sizes, and they're on sale. For example, the queen size is regularly $89.98, but now for you, just $39.98 with your listener promo. Order now because when they're gone, they're gone. The Percal sheets are breathable and have a cool, crisp feel. They come with a 10-year warranty and a 60-day money-back guarantee. Don't miss out on this incredible offer. It's a limited supply, so be sure to order now. Call 1-800-829-8468, promo code Gorka, or just go to MyPillow.com, click on the radio list square, and plug in G-O-R-K-A. That's 1-800-829-8468, or MyPillow.com, code Gorka. I 
I'm Seb Gorka. Now let's get back to the show with Bob France. Yes, Dr. G, let's do exactly that. 20 minutes after the hour. Thanks for being with us on America First. Phone lines will be open at 833-33-GORKA, 833-334-6752. But for now, we're going to continue a great conversation with our guest, Adam B. Coleman. Adam's got a terrific substack that I highly recommend. It is adambcoleman.substack. Uh, you can also follow him on Twitter at uh, wrong underscore speak, wrong underscore speak. While you're there, I would appreciate the follow, too, at France Rants, F-R-A-N-T-Z, R-A-N-T-Z, France Rants. So, um, Adam Coleman, I was, um, and we're talking about, Chief, you just turned us on, we're talking about transracialism, which is just the next step on the, or, or next slide down the slope, if you will, from transgenderism. If males are, we're told that we have to accept males who say they're females as females and say trans uh, women are real women and vice versa, then why on earth are we not going to the next logical step, which is somebody who's black who says, no, I'm white. Somebody who's white who says, no, I'm black. You must accept my reality because it's how I identify. I was just looking at him uh, during the break uh, to see exactly when it was that Rachel Dolezal hit the national scene. The closest I could come is around 2015 is when people were first reporting on this very, very white girl who was raised by two very white parents who had convinced everybody as an NAACP leader that she was African-American. She uh, she darkened her skin. She kinked her hair with really tight curls. She did everything she could to uh, become African-American. And now at the time. As you recall, I'm sure, Adam, everybody demonized her for cultural appropriation. But today in the trans world, she might be a trendsetter. She might be somebody that we just have to accept. Hey, she says she's black, then she's black, right? Yeah. I mean, <laughs> she's the OG of it, I guess you could say. <laughs> um, you know, when it comes to the whole transracial thing, um, uh, you know, especially the way I wrote it, I wrote it in a way for someone who is maybe on that on that spectrum of well just let them let them live their lives, let them go into those spaces. But I wrote in a way where I said, if there was a person who is white who says I am black and then they win the first B E T, you know, image award uh, for best black on screen, um, people would start to ask a lot of questions about that. And I think even people today who are on the left would think that's kind of strange. Um, you're being gentle. And, and you're, think, Adam, you're being gentle. Yeah. You know exactly what you mean. You mean things would burn. Yeah. There would be riots. If a white woman won a BET award that was exclusive to black women, there, that, would not be, that would not be accepted. <clears throat> no, I mean, today it wouldn't be accepted. And so that's the whole thing. We're, we're talking about it in a way that um, this is the precursor. Like, we're in that moment before it happened. Like, if you ask me about some of the stuff that's going on today, three years ago, if we'd be cool with it, I'd be like, no, we would not be cool with mutilating children, yet here we are. So there's always yeah. that, you know, that moment before. And I think right now is that moment. Um, but I'm, I'm kind of, at the same time, looking forward to it because race doesn't make too much sense. Uh, race is a spectrum. Um, and I'm not sure if it's something that we should really hold on to so dearly in this country. 
Yeah, well, it should not be the subject of virtually every discussion, but I think you brought it up before. Your former party, the Democrat Party, made identity politics the cornerstone, essentially, of their platforms for virtually everything, everything, which is why, as I say, Democrats in particular would go crazy if an actual natural-born biological white female identified with and started trying to look black and won an award. Um, you know, you, you, write, you write here the trans blacks, would wear blackface makeup and fake butts until they could afford pigmentation injections and Brazilian butt lifts to appear as their fantasized stereotype to feel more authentic, the trans blacks would speak in Ebonics. And yet, if they do any of those things, first, especially the blackface, Adam, um, they're going to be call, you know, guilty of cultural appropriation and, quite frankly, of, of much worse than that. It just would not stand. It cannot stand. Rachel Dolezal, the OG, found that out. And I, even today in the world of transgenderism, I mean, how is there a line between transracialism trans and cultural appropriation in your mind, Adam? I mean, today there is. Yes. Um, Where is here, it? Where's that line? What is know? that line? Um, I think that line is for any movement to be successful in this country, you have to have a sympathetic figure. So the line is there is no sympathetic figure. Um, until there is a truly sympathetic figure, someone who gets national attention, someone that we can feel bad for because they struggle with their racial identity, then that's, that's it. That's the line. Um, but until then, we can make fun of it. We can laugh at the concept. Um, and anybody who tries to come out without achieving that goal of being a truly sympathetic figure, um, kind of kind of like how uh, Bruce Jenner came out as Caitlyn Jenner, mm-hmm. you know, he became a figurehead, a sympathetic figure. And then from there, that's when you saw everything just kind of take off. Um, so until we have that with the transracial, we can make fun of it right now and talk about how ridiculous it is. But okay. we were saying the same things a number of years ago. So as a black man, unless you decide you want to identify as white, we'll call you a black man for now. (laughs) Um, Adam, uh, Adam, uh, tell me about white supremacy as a black man. Do you believe in the left's uh, speaking about about white supremacy and just being white gives you extra points in this society that you have advantages that blacks don't have, blah, blah, blah. And whatever. what your circumstances are, whether you're whether you're poor, whether you're middle class, whether you're wealthy, if you're white, you have an advantage. Do you believe in white supremacy as a as an issue or as a thing? And then secondly, if white supremacy is a thing. And there are benefits to being white. I've often wondered this, even with President Obama. If you're if you're a biracial person, you get a black parent and a white per, a white parent. Why is it that they always identify with the black side and say I'm black? Why doesn't anybody say I want some of that privilege stuff? I'm white. My white half dominates me, not my black half. Why is it? And why would in transracialism? Why is it always? Black to white, or excuse me, uh, uh, white to black, and never black to white. If there's privilege to be found in whiteness. Um. All right. So the, the first part mm-hmm. is there a white supremacy? Yes. No. No privilege. Um, privilege. There, Not supremacy. Privilege. Oh, privilege. Okay. Yeah. Um, is there a white privilege? Uh, I think when, when people talk about white privilege, what they actually mean is class privilege. To be honest with you, is there class privilege? Yes. Mm-hmm. Um. And that's going to exist in every society. It's going to be exacerbated in certain ways. And I think people should recognize that the people who complain the most about it, the quote-unquote white privilege, 
what they mean is class privilege, and they don't ever talk about class because likely they're of the upper class. Um, you know, that's why they're, they're the academics. They're the wealthiest. You know, it is a boutique talking point. It's a boutique ideology, uh, progressivism, uh, as it appears today. So, you know, they're going to harp on white because they don't want you to talk about class. So, uh, you know, is, is there white privilege? Maybe in some circumstance that, you know, whatever, is there black privilege? Sure. There are things I can say right now that you can't without being, you know, demonized for it. Right. right? So that's a black privilege. No, I get it. Yeah, that's um, very true. Very true. Yeah. So, but does that, does that ruin my day? Does that ruin your day? Is that, is that the differentiation between our, the success in our life? No. It's like, it, these are, it's such micro, micro nonsense. Um, and they want you to focus on the racial aspect because really they don't want you to look at the class. No, you, no uh, Adam, Adam, I think you're right. I'm going to ask you to hang on here a second. I want to continue with you one more segment right after this. This is a red alert for hardworking Americans who are tired of seeing their freedoms and savings threatened by the globalist agenda. Wealth Protection Research is on a mission to find whistleblowers who are exposing the schemes that threaten your financial security. We're talking about real patriotic financial warriors like Jim Rickards and Porter Stansberry. They're not afraid to tell it like it is, exposing how the system is rigged against you. Text IDEAS to 76626 to find out more. With the 2024 election Storming our way, your IRA and your 401k appear to be in the crosshairs. That's why we've compiled our three favorite ideas from Freethinkers. Don't wait for a knock on your door telling you it's too late. Get this critical report. Text IDEAS to 76626. The fight for your financial freedom is on. Text IDEAS to 76626 now for your free report. That's IDEAS to 76626. Standard text and data rates may apply. I'm Seb Gorka. Now let's get back to the show with Bob France. And this is indeed America First with Dr. Sebastian Gorka. Bob France sitting in for Dr. G. And we continue one more short segment with our guest, Adam B. Coleman. Uh, follow his substack, sub if you would. It's a terrific read. I've read three of his articles already. It's adambcoleman.substack.com. You should most definitely do that. Uh, and uh, Adam, I'm going to ask you about MLK Day, but first I want to make sure we talk about your book, Black Victim to Black Victor. Identifying the ideologies, behavioral patterns, and cultural norms that encourage a victimhood complex. Tell us about your book. Yeah, uh, so the, the book was um, a way for me to express myself uh, post George Floyd. Um, you know, by trade, I'm, I'm an IT guy. I wasn't a writer, uh, but I felt like I wasn't able to express myself. Um, and I finally just got the courage to just sit down and write a book for about nine months and self-published, um, and I just basically put it out there to see if people want to hear it. Um, and without, you know, I didn't have no, no public profile or anything. Um, and so far, people really enjoy the book. It's been out for over a year and a half now. Um, but the, the book itself, it, it discusses race, but actually talks about the more important things, uh, the nuclear family, the importance of fathers and homes. Um, and I use my personal story because I grew up without my father um, wow. and my journey into manhood. 
uh, and becoming a, a father myself at the age of 21 while, while not knowing how to be a man and figuring that part of, uh, that part out for myself. Um, so it's, it's a very personal book. Uh, it's not hyper-political or anything like that. It's very personal. Um, you could say that, but I think you'd be slightly wrong because you just touched a trigger point there when you talk about fatherlessness and you talk about, in particular, black fathers not being in homes. Um, the numbers are staggering, some 70% or 75% or whatever it is now. It changes year to year, but it's always in that neighborhood of black kids are growing up in single-parent households. And fatherlessness is is kind of a taboo stuff. Well, maybe not for you because you're a black man. For a white guy like me, it's it's perpetuating racial stereotypes and racial uh, and racism to talk about father fatherlessness in black homes. So you can talk about it. I can't. What is your understanding or what is your perception? What is the reason in your mind? Why that statistic is is real? Why it is that so many black children are raised without their dads? Well, actually, before I answer that question, um, I, throughout the book, I talk about um, black fatherlessness, but then I also talk about fatherlessness in general. Okay. The reason I do that is because I'm making the point that there are actually more white Americans in this country who are growing up separated from their fathers than, than black Americans. We're disproportionately higher. And that's actually just right. a, it's something that we can all relate to as Americans because the United States is number one in single parenthood in the world. And I don't think people realize that. Um, so while there is an issue for black Americans, and there are cultural reasons behind it, uh, the, the full embracement of feminism, uh, I know people talk often about um, you know, government assistance and things like that. Um, but ultimately, there is a cultural problem in America. Um, it is not just black Americans, it's all Americans. And whenever I talk about fatherlessness, most of the people who reach out to me don't look like me. Um, and their voices are kind of not heard because there's so much focus on uh, fatherlessness for black Americans. But those people are ignored as well for other white Americans, Hispanic, you name it. Um, they're, they're going through the same pain that I did when I was a kid. That's that's a very great point. And you're right. From sheer numbers, there would be more whites because it's, you know, 66 percent or so white uh, white nation, 13 uh, percent African-Americans and then other ethnicities less than that. So uh, it's uh, but as you say, disproportionately affecting the black community, which is one of the reasons why we get into graduation rates, dropout rates, drug rates, prison rates yeah. and so on and so forth in the different communities. Um, last question for you. I've got a minute about about a minute and 10 seconds for you to answer it. Is MLK's dream dead? His dream of a colorblind society versus uh, and a society in which people are judged by the content of their character versus what Ibram X. Kendi and others teach today in the BLM movement, which is we must recognize color and recognize that white is bad and oppressors and black is victims. Is the dream dead? No, the dream's not dead. Um, the economic elite want us to think that it's dead. Uh, the progressive who are among the economically want us to think that it's dead. But when you go outside and you interact with regular people, working-class Americans, they don't care. Uh, the vast majority of them are not racial identitarians. They really don't care. And that's been my experience as a black American who's lived in five states, multiple towns throughout those states. My experience about, around people in general, especially white Americans, has been positive. And I, you know, the, the negative experiences, I can count on one hand. That's the reality about living in America while being black.
I tell you what, I, I wish and I hope that that becomes the experience for everybody in this country of all colors. That is the dream, obviously, but the obstacles in front of all of us are, are, are very, very uh, numerous. Uh, Adam B. Coleman, his book, you should check it out, Black Victim to Black Victor, and follow him at wrong underscore speak on Twitter. Adam Coleman, thank you so much for the time. I'm Bob France, and we'll be right back. Three-star general, Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records of the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.